Our scripture reading for this morning is found in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 14. Galatians 6, 14. Hear the word of the Lord. But may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Before I begin, I'd ask that you all would bow your heads with me in prayer to the Lord. O God, O Lord, You are holy, holy, holy. Worthy are You, O Lamb of God. We worship You today on this Lord's Day. And we lift up our songs, our praises, our thanksgivings, our prayers to You, Lord. And we praise You, Lord. We ask that your presence would be here in power this morning. We pray that you'd fill our hearts with joy, that you would help us to see Christ and only Him. Jesus is our only boast, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would use me this day. Lord, I pray and I implore you, God, that you would anoint me with the Holy Spirit, that these words would not just be a dead letter, but, Lord, that they would be alive. Just as you are alive, Lord Jesus, forevermore, death has no more dominion over you. And we praise you, Lord, that death is dead, that Christ is risen. Lord, I pray for this church body, Lord. I pray for this congregation. I pray, O Lord, that you would pour out your spirit, Lord, that we would know something of the presence of the Lord this day on the Lord's day. That we would not just be doing rote exercises by being here this morning, Lord, that we would know that we can encounter you here on the Lord's day. Here, where you, Lord Jesus, are walking amongst your people, amongst the candlesticks, as it were, Lord. Oh God, please help me. We praise you for what you're doing on this earth, Lord. We thank you for the revival that we're hearing about in Asbury, Lord, University. And we pray that that revival would spread. We pray the revival would come here to Oak Ridge Community Church, here to the Twin Cities, Lord. I pray that you revive us according to your word. Revive us according to your justice. Revive us according to your judgments, Lord, that we might rejoice in you, that your people might shout aloud, rejoice in you. Oh God, please help us, Lord. For apart from you, we can do nothing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I read in your hearing this morning, Galatians 6.14, Before we get to the positive exposition of this verse, we need to understand the context by which these words were written by the Apostle Paul. So the context for our text this morning is from the last half of the book of Galatians, where the Apostle Paul has concluded his arguments against the Judaizing heresy that was plaguing the Galatian church. 
the main element of the Judaizing heresy, the main element of the heresy plaguing the Galatians was this, that if you sought to be justified by Jesus, not only did you have to believe in him, but you also had to obey elements of the ceremonial law. You had to add works onto pure faith in Christ to be saved. It was a justification by faith plus. And this enraged Paul. So throughout his epistle, Paul crushes that heretical teaching with a positive exposition of the truth of justification by faith alone, apart from the works of the law. For Paul says in this epistle, if righteousness is through the law, then Christ died for nothing. If we can add any merit onto the merit of Christ, if we can do anything to add to what Christ has done, Christ died for nothing. If our obedience to any element of the law can justify us, Christ died in vain. Paul also states, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, it was imputed to him for righteousness, therefore now know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. This is the teaching and the context where we arrive at Galatians 6.14 this morning. Paul is exhorting us to look to Jesus Christ alone for righteousness, and not Jesus Christ plus our own works. This is the liberty where we stand as justified sinners. So again, I will read Galatians 6.14 for you this morning. But may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. So we're going to look at this text under three heads. And the three heads that we're going to look at are going to be from a thesis that I've put forward of what I believe this text is teaching us and trying to get us to think about this morning. And here's my thesis for Galatians 6.14. Being truly captivated and enamored by the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ will result in an intense boasting and glorying in him and his crosswork alone. And this crosswork that we boast in has brought us into a new and true position and perspective on the world. And it has also changed how the world now views us. So we will look now and divide that into three heads. So the first one this morning, being truly captivated and enamored by the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ will result in an intense boasting, glorying in him and his crosswork alone. May it never be that I should boast in the cross, 
that I should boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So perhaps you're asking yourself this question this morning, and I'll ask it for you. Why should we boast in the cross of Jesus Christ? Well, Paul answers that in another epistle in Romans. Because he says, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin of death. This is why we should boast in the cross, because we have been made free from sin. We are free from death. We are free from the wrath of God. We are free from Satan. And we are free from the law as a covenant. God has reconciled us to himself by the atonement made by the Son of God on the cross. This is why we should boast in the cross alone. As the psalmist says, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And that is what's happening at the cross at Calvary. We see God's mercy on those who are outside. We see God having his justice and his wrath poured out on the Son at Calvary. And all those who he's, he's representing, all those he's dying for, God is showing mercy on them and showing justice towards his Son, who became a curse for us. This is how mercy and truth are meeting together at the cross. This is how righteousness and peace have kissed each other. We who have trusted in Jesus Christ alone, we who have been brought into this great salvation, we have been translated out of this kingdom of darkness that we once were in, and through the cross, we're being translated into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of the Son. Full payment of an infinite debt has been made on our behalf by the Son of God. We owe God full payment of an eternal debt and we owe him perfect obedience to his righteous law. We could do neither, and Jesus provides that for us. That is why the cross is glorious. For any sinner to hear this, that their debt has been paid for by another, and their obedience that they were supposed to bring before God has been procured by another, that's good news. This is the good news. This is the glad tidings of great joy that shall be for all the people. This is the thing that the angels were announcing at the birth of Jesus, that he was going to accomplish these things. And Paul puts it this way in Romans 5 about the glories of the cross, the glories of the reconciliation that God has brought for us through the cross of Calvary, through Jesus Christ. He says this, for when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. It's all about Jesus 
It's all about what he has done for you and for me. That is how we can boast in the cross alone. It's not about our own works added on to what Christ has done. It is all about what Jesus did by himself. We helped him not one ounce. He did it all on his own. It's all about Jesus. Jesus, the one prophesied in the Psalms of who would be true, of who would be said this, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, I have come to do thy will, O God. That is Jesus. That's not you and me. We have not come to do God's will. We can't do it, but Jesus can. And he's the one that it was prophesied. That would be true of him. He is the prophesied seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. He is the prophesied Messiah, the long-awaited desire of ages. He's the prophesied star that would arise out of Jacob and a scepter that will come out of Israel to crush the enemy's foreheads. He is the prophesied stone of Daniel 2 that was cut out, but not by human hands, that would strike the statue of Daniel 2 that represented the pagan religious powers of his day, that this stone would come and strike at the feet of that statue and obliterate it. And to become like chaff on the threshing floor, which the wind carries away, and not a trace of them would be found. But this stone that struck the statue would become a great mountain that would fill the whole earth. This is Jesus who routed Satan in open combat on his own turf in a fallen world. This is Jesus, our advocate, who has overcome our accuser. We can rejoice with what is being said in Revelation by the angel when we hear in Revelation 12, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God, day and night has been cast down. The work of Christ on the cross caused Satan, his ability to accuse us before the throne of God, to be null and void. Our advocate has overcome our accuser. Jesus Christ now stands before the throne of God, advocating for us. No longer does Satan come and accuse us, because Jesus has overcome him. This is glorious. This is a marvelous truth. This is a wonderful truth. This is a great truth that we should revel in and remind ourselves every day. Come, all who are oppressed by Satan. Are you being accused? Does your own conscience condemn you? Come. Come and be clean. Come and be made clean by Jesus Christ. Come and be forgiven of your sins. He has won it for you. Come and believe upon him and be made new. Listen to the exhortation of Isaiah, of the glories of the gospel, the free offer of the gospel of what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. We read this morning or one of the scripture passages that we're memorizing is that Jesus Christ came to give life and to give it more abundantly. 
Rejoice and delight yourself in abundance this morning that Christ has won it for you. He died for you. He buried for you. He rose again for you. And he's ascended on high and he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. Our advocate has overcome our accuser and we can rejoice in that. Not anything that we've done. That is why Paul is saying boast only in the cross. I glory only in the cross of Jesus Christ. I have been nothing but a failure in this life. But Jesus is the success. Jesus came and did what was required of him. So I urge you this morning, if you are here and you've not realized that for yourself, a, a fellowship, a faith in Christ, if you're still under the bondage of Satan this morning, under the bondage of your own sin, under the bondage of the world, I implore you, come to Jesus Christ this morning and live. Repent of your sins and trust yourself to Jesus Christ. He's a faithful Savior. He will cast out none that come to Him. He suffered and died. It was, it was the Father's good pl pleasure to crush Him. And by His wounds we are healed. Jesus Christ has loosed the chains and set the captives free. This is what Paul is glorying in. That Jesus is our hope. That Jesus is our freedom, our life, our everything. This is the gospel. That Christ died for sinners. People who have broken God's law. People who are in Adam, who are guilty. Christ died and was buried and rose again for sinners. This is the gospel. This is why we should boast only in the cross. The work of Christ is more than sufficient to save us. And it is freely offered to us to be received by faith alone. It's free. We can't earn it. Just be received by faith alone. And this is wonderful. This is why we should boast only in the cross. This is where we can listen to the Lord as he's speaking through Jeremiah. Jeremiah prophesies this. He says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Are you intelligent, smarter than the rest this morning? God says to Jeremiah, don't boast in that. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Are you strong this morning? Are you in a position of power over other people? God says, do not boast in that. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. Are you wealthy? Are you rich this morning, more than the average person? God says, do not boast in that. He gives us one thing to boast in. For God says, but let him who glories, let him who boasts, glory in this that he understands and knows me. I, the Lord, that practice loving kindness, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, says the Lord. That is the one who should boast. Those who know the Lord. Those who are united to Christ in faith. For Jesus Christ says, This is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That is eternal life. That is what we are to boast in, not in our riches, not in our strength, not in our wisdom. It is only in knowing the Lord through Jesus Christ. That is what we can boast in. God says, glory all day long in that and nothing else. May I add something for people that may feel like they're very zealous for the Lord? I can feel like that and I can be, wow, I'm zealous. No. 
May I add that we are not even to boast in our own zeal for the Lord. Only Jesus had perfect zeal. You and I do not have perfect zeal for the Lord. We're not even to boast in that. It was true of Jesus that the Torah was in his heart and he stood in awe of his Father. It is said that we heard preached on in John chapter 2 that zeal for thine house hath eaten me up. And that's true of Jesus. That's not true of you and me. Our zeal waxes and wanes, but Jesus' zeal was perfect. Even at the age of 12 years old, these are the first words we hear of Jesus. His parents are looking for him. They had left the feast of the Passover, and he's not there. They thought they were in, he was in the train of the company leaving the temple. And three days they search for him, and they find him. After the Passover, the whole crowds have left, but Jesus is still in the temple, basking in the glory of God, asking the scribes and the teachers questions, and they are marveling at him. And his parents come to him and they say, what are you doing? You, you worried us. And Jesus says these words, did you not know that I had to be about the things of my father? I had to be in my father's house. We, we're not like that. Only Jesus was like that. And, and for the 12-year-olds in the room, the 11-year-olds, 13-year-olds, the young people in the room, if you want an example to what you should look to for someone who's your age, don't go on TikTok or Instagram. Go to Luke chapter 2. Jesus is 12 years old. He's the glorious son of God. And it says at the end of that that he went home to Nazareth with them and he was submissive to Joseph and Mary. The son of God who upholds all things by the word of his power, who sustains these two human beings according to his divine nature, yet submitted himself underneath them. Look to Jesus Christ as the perfect example. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon. I don't know about you guys, but in my former life, I used to hoot and holler watching football games. I used to get rowdy at concerts. I used to sing along and was expressive. How much more Should you and I, the people of God, be expressive and have a godly rowdiness in worshiping the God of our salvation, the conquering King of the universe, Jesus Christ, the victor? How much more should that be true of us? I speak more specifically to the men in the room this morning about this. We as men can especially appreciate glory and shout and be excited about it. We can be like in in Job, where the sons of God shouted for joy when God was laying the foundation of the earth. We get it. We love it. But let me ask you, to everyone in this room this morning, how many of you showed more emotion, excitement, and expressiveness watching the Super Bowl last Sunday than you did today on the Lord's Day in his house in the presence of the Lord of glory. And substitute Super Bowl for something else if you're not about that. That's fine. How much more are we expressive and joyful about other things and not in the presence of our God on the Lord's Day in his presence and rejoicing in what he's done for us? It should never be. 
Why do we glory in the legs of men and not in the God who made the legs and sustains them? I think it's because you and I do not appreciate the omnipotent Shekinah glory of God in the gospel. If we did, we would never have that problem. We would be rejoicing with full expression to our God. Well, brethren, that's the gospel. The gospel should do that to you. And it's okay. We all fall in many ways. I'm not trying to bring you into bondage this morning. But that is what we are called to, to glory and boast in the gospel alone because it is glorious, because it is good, because it is wonderful. It is all these things. It's altogether lovely. That is what it objectively is. It's, it's us who are not seeing it. It is because of the cross of Christ we can now live as free men and women, justified by faith alone in Christ alone. Our chains are gone. We can live renewed, holy lives by the power of the gospel, not because we're trying to earn our salvation, no, no, but because we've already been saved and our new natures incline us to tearful, thankful obedience to Jesus Christ who did it all for us. That is why we can boast and glory in the cross of Christ alone. So that's point number one. Far be it for me to boast in anything except in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. Number two now. This cross work that we boast in has brought us into a new and true position and perspective on the world. Paul says, by which the world has been crucified to me. So we're boasting in the cross alone. We're glorying in Jesus Christ and the gospel alone. And by what Jesus has done, by that, we are now crucified to the world. So what does Paul mean by that? What does it mean to be crucified to the world? Well, from my perspective, from the study of the New Testament, let me try to give you a definition of what the world means. The world in the New Testament mostly refers to the unbelieving mass of humanity. It is the societies of the many peoples of earth who are opposed to God and who are dominated by Satan and dominated by their sinful natures. The world is a seducing vanity fair that revels in selfishness and seeks pleasure in sensuality, in money, in power, and in violence. The world idolizes the creature rather than the creator. The world is filled with pride and it marvels at its self-proclaimed achievements, its self-rule, and its own wisdom and self-made religion. The world is the place where mankind seeks to establish a utopia where humans are the gods. And the knowledge of the one true God is suppressed with fervent religious zeal. That is the world. And our text this morning is saying, because of the wonderful work of Christ, we are crucified to that. So what does it mean to be crucified to this world? Well, I hope to show you, I believe it means, it means that the world has become dead to us. The world that I just described has become dead to us. More than that, it, it means the world has become like something that has been crucified it's not that it's just dead. The world is crucified to us. So what is crucifixion? From maybe 
People don't know what crucifixion was, so let's review it quickly. Crucifixion was a horrifying, disgusting spectacle. The person who was crucified was stripped naked and nailed to two planks of wood and hung there for all the world to see in all shame and misery. The bloodied person would hang there for hours, slowly suffocating to death. At times, after that person had died, after many hours of excruciating pain, their rotting corpses were left on the cross and became food for the scavenging birds who would peck at their flesh with their beaks. In a figure, that is what the world has become to us a mangled, festering corpse nailed to two pieces of wood. Perhaps that's shocking. Do you think I'm off base in what I'm saying here? Well, don't listen to what I say. What, what do the scriptures say? What saith the scriptures? The Apostle John, writing, says this, Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The New Testament goes on. Can two walk together lest they agree? Come out and be separate, says the Lord. Do not be unequally yoked. Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus also said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Or put in another way by Jesus, kind of expounding upon what he means there. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. We are to love the Lord in such a way that in comparison, it almost seems like we would not have any love for anyone else but the Lord. It is to be an all-encompassing love for him alone. James says this, friendship with the world is enmity with God. And this is just a short selection of texts that run throughout the New Testament speaking of the Christian's relation to the world. If you're a friend with the world, James says, enemy with God. I don't know how this point could be made any clearer in the scriptures. But that is not something we can produce on our own. I'm not, again, trying to bring you into bondage this morning of something we're going to work up. No. This disposition is the result of the Spirit of God working in our souls. All true Christians will have this innate disposition. As the psalmist says, let those who love the Lord hate evil. But let's be balanced. This is not some cold-hearted, prideful, hard attitude towards the world. That's not what I'm saying. And how can it be? We just saw that the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are boasting in is nothing of ourselves. It is Jesus who died for us, who were once sinners. So how can we have a cold-hearted, hateful look at other people? That's not what I'm getting at here. It is to be a balanced disposition. It is to be a blessed, happy state that we're in. 
like the Psalm 1 man. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on, his law, on this law he meditates day and night. And that man shall be like a tree planted near streams of water, brings forth his fruit in, every, in each season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and wherever he does, he shall prosper. We are to be as Jesus is, the blessed people of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the mournful, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the type of attitude the person who has been crucified to the world has. Yes, we see the world for what it is. Yes, we know what the scriptures are telling us about it, but it is not some cold-hearted, bigoted disposition. It is a balanced, wonderful thing of loving the Lord, hating evil. And I, I think we see this in Jude. The apostle Jude talks about this. He says, And indeed, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. And still others show mercy, tempered with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So Jude is exhorting us, yes, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. But when you are doing that, be very careful. Because hate even the garment stained by the flesh. As you are leaning in and seeking to win someone for Christ, do not be seduced and do not be tempted by the same things they are being tempted with. Be careful, he said, tempered with fear. This is the balance we're supposed to have. Seeing the world for what it is, but at the same time also loving the person and seeking to snatch them out of the fire. This is the perfect balance and poise of a son or daughter of God. This can only be brought by the Holy Spirit who is within you. But brethren, this is how we grow in our sanctification. Looking to the Lord, seeing the world for what it is, and glorying and boasting in the cross alone. As, as Brother Lane Tipton has said, we are being disenfranchised from this world in cross-bearing obedience and enfranchised into the world to come, knowing the joy, the glory, and the life, and the comfort of the ascended Christ. That is how we grow in sanctification. We are to love our enemies, but we are not to love the worldview that they have. We are to love our enemies, but we are not to love the sinful actions and words and thoughts that flow from the system that they're a part of. We have to be balanced. Again, overall, don't, please don't hear me wrong this morning. The sharpness of this section of being crucified to the world is meant to help us. We have to see the world for what it is, lest it seduce us. For there are, there are multitudes of professing Christians who have made shipwreck of their faith by listening to the siren songs of the world. They did not recognize the world for what it is. They were not warned. This sharp type of teaching they did not want to hear, and they slowly were seduced by the world and all that was in it. Reflect and realize 
that when the world looks attractive to you, the thing that I just described, the world, as the New Testament lays it forth, when that world looks attractive to you, it's not because it stopped being a mangled, stinkering, festering, dead body on a cross. It's because sin in you has made you attracted to a rotting corpse nailed to a tree. Recognize it, repent of it, and realize the world is not beautiful in that sense. Your sin is being, causing you to be attracted to it. But the Lord is faithful and he will deliver you. He will forgive you and he can free you from the spellbinding nature of the world. So that's point number two. So point number three here, we're seeing that we are to glory in the cross of Jesus Christ alone because it is glorious in that boasting of what God has done for us in Christ. We are to realize that we are crucified to the world, but there's one more thing. There's a flip side to that. Paul says, and I to the world. The crosswork of Christ has also changed the way the world now views us. So it's a mutual thing. Just as the world has become to us a dead corpse on a tree, so have we become, in the eyes of the world, the same thing. This is why the world will never ultimately like us or accept us. And this is why it is insane to compromise to win them. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross that we glory in, that we are to shout for joy forever and ever in, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. 2 Corinthians 2.14, Paul expounds on this a little differently. He says, Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, we are the aroma of life leading to life. And these words of Paul, speaking of being the aroma of death to those who are perishing, the aroma of life to those who are living and who are being saved, realizing the power of the gospel to those who are being saved and the foolishness it is to those who aren't, the more you progress in your faith in this world, the longer you live, you will see this reality to be so incredibly true. And anyone who is familiar with church history will know how many times men have tried to circumvent this reality time and time again but were never able to undo it and ultimately ended up tainting and compromised the gospel in the process because they didn't see what Paul is saying here. We are crucified to the world and the world to us. But may it never be that I should boast in the cross, boast anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Some concluding applications and thoughts to what we're talking about here this morning. Again, remember, please, only by being truly captivated and enamored at the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ will you respond in an intense boasting and glorying in him alone and his cross work alone. The world cannot become crucified to you unless that is true. You need to remind yourself of the gospel every day. Every day you're to tell yourself, 
what, are, what, what is the hope that I have in Christ? What are the truths that I cling to as I'm slipping down the slope of this life, as I am dealing with all the problems in my life, as all these trials are coming in and these doubts that are assailing me? You are to cling on to truth. You are to grab onto something, and it's the word of God. And remind yourself, I am forgiven of all my trespasses. I have eternal life in Jesus Christ, my Lord. Like Paul says, this is the gospel that I preached to you, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again in accordance with the scriptures, and that all who trust in him shall not be ashamed. I believe in Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You need to preach yourself, preach the gospel to yourself every day. We can't assume it. Be like, well, we're moving on from that to strong meat, which you should. But in the sense, you're always to remind yourself of the gospel every day. We need this. How else would we glory in the cross of Jesus Christ if we are not reminding ourselves of the glory of it? We have to put ourselves in the way of God. That he might work upon our souls that as we grow older, we will become more and more acquainted with his ways and richly blessed in the contemplation of Jesus Christ and his glory. That's the way you glory in the gospel. You remind yourself of it. You preach to yourself. You put yourselves in the way of God. You listen to sermons about it. You read about it. You contemplate about it. You pray about it. You become obsessed with it. That's how you glory in the gospel. I say these things to you, brothers and sisters, for the things coming upon the earth, there, there are things coming upon this earth that are going to attempt to draw you away from your boasting in the gospel. Signs and wonders to deceive even the elect. So do not throw away your boasting in the Lord. Do not allow the dead corpse of the world to seduce you back in. See it for what it is. See the cross of Jesus Christ for what it is and let that guide you. A word of caution here as well. Don't fall into the temptation of despising the world for the sake of despising it. Again, I have to keep repeating this. I want this to be balanced here. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are to be heavenly people, as Paul describes in Philippians 2, who do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may be blameless, harmless children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights, holding fast the word of life. That is what God's going to own, is a wholly different people walking amongst this world. We are to be different. And the Spirit will use that, to, that humble, holy difference to convict the heart of those who are in the world and through the proclamation of the gospel, bring them to be crucified to the world as well. And this is our hope for them. We are to be wholly different and light bearers in this world. And the Spirit will own that. Lastly, you will never be crucified to the world unless this blazing passion of the glory of Christ is in you. Unless that is true of you, unless you have that blazing passion for the cross of Jesus Christ and Him alone, you will fit in with the masses and not be salt and light but rather comfortably at home in the world and just like everyone else. And if that is you this morning, it's been true of me in my life, if that is you this morning, come, identify with Jesus Christ,
be crucified to this world. Glory in his gospel and the cross alone. Become a part of this great assembly of redeemed humanity who follows the lamb wherever he goes. And it's true of this lamb that he redeemed us from every lawless deed. He gave himself for us and to purify us from, for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. That is who we are to be like. A special possession of the Lord, zealous for good works. Far be it for me to boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your cross work. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you suffered under the wrath of God and that you went down among the dead and were risen again on the third day. Lord, help us in this room to walk in the light of the gospel and to not be seduced away into the darkness of this world. But at the same time, Lord, help us to go out into this world as bearers of light, to call people in and say, come be crucified with Christ with us. Come into this great assembly of the saints. Lord, I pray for those in this room this morning who do not know you. Oh, Lord, who are still out in that world, I pray that you draw them by your love and your grace and that you would open their eyes that they might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, please open their eyes. And for us who are in Christ, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us and equip us to live this life with joyful, obsessed thoughts about you, Lord Jesus. For you are glorious. You are worthy. You are the name above every name, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would just be glorified today in all that we say and do. Please bless Oak Ridge Community Church, Lord. Please help us to be this people, Lord, that you're calling us to be. Please help us, Lord, in our daily lives. And the the next week, Lord, as we go into work or whatever we have to do, Lord, please be with us. Help us to remember these things and pray that your spirit would be the after preacher in all these things, Father. We love you. Our hope is only in you. We have nothing outside of you, Lord Jesus. We We are beggars. This is true. Please give us that bread from heaven, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Nick, thank you. Brother, may we never boast except for in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to us and we have been crucified to the world. Did you hear an exhortation and a benediction in light of that from the book of Jude? Starting in verse 20, But you, beloved building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. Now may you go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ today. Amen.